Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, Emory University and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta are participating in a clinical trial testing the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine in children 6 months to 12 years of age. We really are focused on trying to ensure a diverse population of kids are able to enroll into the study. I'll speak with Dr. Evan Anderson, the study site principal investigator for the trial. Also, we continue with our area college graduate profiles. C.J. Montgomery didn't get a chance to walk across the stage and proudly hold up her 2020 Agnes Scott College Diploma. This year was different, and she was able to address her fellow graduates. This pandemic forced us to see the unseen and to remember the forgotten. It was no longer enough to check on those people who were the stereotypical overexerted leaders. But for once in our four years, we had to check on the people who were just grateful enough to call Agnes Scott a home. Those conversations coming up later in the program. But first this, nearly 40 percent of service stations in Georgia remain without gas. And that's still after the cyber attack of the Alpharetta-based Colonial Pipeline Company shut down supply. Now, all this information comes from Gas Buddy, a company that monitors fuel prices and supply. And not to be the bearer of bad news, so don't get mad at me, but this lag is likely to exist for several more days. And according to Gas Buddy, there's a possibility of prices increasing again closer to Memorial Day when more folks will be out on the road. Finally, MARTA is looking to hire. The state's largest transit system will hold a job fair for bus operators and journeymen, that's how they put it, journeymen bus technicians this Saturday, May 22nd from 9 a.m. until noon outside the MARTA headquarters, which is located across from the Lindbergh Center Rail Station on Piedmont Road in Atlanta. According to a press release, MARTA is looking to hire part-time and full-time employees in those positions. This is Closer Look. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. This past weekend was absolutely beautiful here in the Atlanta area. Sunny skies, I went for a long walk, and I saw a lot of folks without, you guessed it, masks. Perhaps the CDC's newly announced guidelines for fully vaccinated people was well-received. Combining that with the CDC's vaccine advisory panel recently recommending Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for kids 12 to 15 years of age. Well, there's been a lot of news regarding the coronavirus, but there are some questions still remain. And one being, what does this mean for Georgia? WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead joins me now so we can discuss all the latest coronavirus news. Sam, welcome back. Good to have you on. Hey, Rose. 
Did you see folks out this weekend without masks? I did. And I will say, Rose, as a fully vaccinated person myself, there were times that I was out this weekend without a mask on. I hate to bring you into the conversation, but is there some sense, was there some sense of relief for you to be able to do that after more than a year? You know, Rose, yes and no. I think for people who are fully vaccinated per CDC guidance, there are lots of places where studies show vaccines protect you from contracting the coronavirus and if you do getting very sick. So I will say for myself, for example, when I was at the grocery store this weekend, I'm around a lot of people. I don't know their vaccination status. I'm wearing a mask. I can say that I have really been enjoying some alfresco dining in the last few weeks, (laughs) eating outside, away from people. Uh, Not having to cook your own food and clean up has just been a real pleasure (laughs) the last few weeks now that I'm fully vaccinated. I hear you on that. Well, Sam, as that news was announced, the CDC relaxing its guidance for fully vaccinated people saying no longer do you need to mask or even you know, socially distance in some instances. How has this change been received by the public health community? You know, Rose, the reaction has really been mixed. So leading up to this announcement from CDC last week, uh, there was a lot of chatter uh, among the public health community about the CDC really being too slow, Um, essentially, you know, taking a long time to acknowledge that these vaccines that have been rolling out for months now really do provide people lots of protection against contracting and spreading the coronavirus. And so, you know, I think in the week leading up to this announcement, I certainly saw a lot of calls for the CDC to maybe be a little bit less conservative. Um, And then in the wake of this announcement, um, the exact opposite, people saying the agency had moved too quickly, they had gone too far. Um, And a real big concern that I heard from folks is one I just mentioned to you, Rose. It's one thing to know your own vaccination status. It's hard when you're moving through the world to know everyone else's, especially here in this country where we don't have something like a vaccine passport. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a lot of the concern is that, you know, it's hard to know which situations are safer than others, not knowing you know, the vaccination status of everyone else around you. Well, Sam, let me get your thoughts on this, because with these new guidances from the CDC, might we expect the, these changes to show up in Governor Brian Kemp's some new executive orders? You know, I reached out to Governor Kemp's office this week. They say they're reviewing these latest recommendations from the CDC with the State Department of Public Health. So we will have to see. It's important to remember, Rose, that Georgia was already pretty open. At the end of last month, Governor Brian Kemp rolled back a number of rules that were still on the books. A number of those rules became recommendations. Um, And Georgia, like a bunch of other states, were already moving in this direction. You know, people are getting vaccinated. Cases and hospitalizations and deaths are down here as they are across the country. And so things are opening. Now, when I asked the Department of Public Health about the new CDC guidance, they pointed out something interesting. They say, you know, only about 30 percent of Georgians are fully vaccinated and that if you are going to be out in public around groups of people, especially when you don't know their vaccination status, doing things like wearing a mask can still protect you Mm -hmm. and are still a good idea. Well, Sam, now that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for kids ages 12 to 15 is available, and a little bit later following this conversation, I'll speak with a local physician who's working with the Moderna clinical trial for those six months to 12 years of age. But Sam, do we know if parents are making appointments for kids for that 12 to 15 year age range? 
for one, appointments aren't really needed. You know, the public health departments in DeKalb and Fulton County, for example, are now offering the Pfizer shot to 12 to 15 year olds at their mass vaccination sites that they're doing. Um, I also visited one uh, set up by Children's Healthcare of Atlanta down at the Georgia International Convention Center. So there are definitely places for parents to get these shots for their kids. I imagine that we'll see here what we saw with previous points in the vaccine rollout. Mm-hmm. Once the vaccine is made available to a new group of people, we'll see a bump in demand and that will slow down over time as the people who really want the shots and are able to get them can get them. Um, I think I think something to watch, Rose, in this next phase is kind of how uh, vaccination moves out of these large mass vaccination sites into doctor's offices and thinking specifically about That's where kids get a lot of their vaccines. You know, Mm -hmm. adults, we might be used to going to, say, the grocery store to get our flu shot. Uh, But if you're a kid, it's that trusted relationship with a pediatrician that Mm -hmm. it's in that setting that these shots are often administered. So I think for that age group and even as these vaccines get authorized and potentially even approved for younger and younger ages, that will really be the location where a lot of the vaccinations happen. And Sam, do you know if the state will start providing vaccination data on this population? So the state currently provides vaccine data on 15 to 19 year olds. So they would fall into that kind of upper range of this newly expanded group. Um, And it's important to remember the state opened vaccines to all people over 16 in late March. Um, I would imagine it will take some time for that data to start coming in. Kids have only been able to get this shot in Georgia for about a week now, and things really didn't get rolling until late last week after mm-hmm. the advisory panel to the CDC made this recommendation. So I would imagine that, you know, as time goes on, we'll get more and more information. And considering summer camp and all the other things that kids love to do, going to amusement parks and theme parks, of course, big folks like me like amusement parks, too. So we shall see. Sam, I'm curious because you mentioned Georgia is still hovering around that 30 percent full vaccination rate. How does that compare to other states? You know, Georgia is still trailing a lot of states in the country when it comes to the percent of the population that say gotten one shot or gotten two. And that's something that we've seen over the course of the pandemic. The South in particular has really trailed most of the country over the course of of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And and why that matters, Rose, is, you know, we've seen over the course of the last year and a half that outbreaks of diseases can be very localized. You know, we've seen certain parts of the country see surges when other parts of the country weren't seeing surges. And this was something that President Joe Biden mentioned yesterday. States that have low vaccination rates moving forward Even though things are looking good now across the country, that's not necessarily going to be guaranteed in the future. And so that, I think, is the concern, is that if Georgia, if other states don't get their vaccination rates up, that we could still have, you know, large portions of our population vulnerable to infection. And that could lead to, you know, pandemic flare ups, Mm -hmm. pandemic flare ups. Nobody wants to hear those two words together. Sam, one of the conversations you and I have had in the past is about we no longer really talk about the reaching herd immunity. And public health officials have kind of stayed away from talking about that. So, but what are they saying in terms of what is an acceptable, is there an acceptable number or percentage of Americans that need to be vaccinated where we will feel that really turn the corner in combating this virus? You know, Rose, I'm going to make a quick pitch here. I've had a few recent conversations about this in the podcast feed. So I'm going to try to summarize what some of those very smart people have told me here and talking to you. But listeners should certainly go check those episodes out. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to know that with herd immunity, 
the virus will get to all of us eventually, right? Over time, as things play out, either people are going to have immune protection from natural infection as the virus moves through the population or through vaccination. And so, you know, I think that most public health officials will say a number, some target goal that we're looking to reach is is maybe kind of an artificial uh, goalpost, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is we want to get as many people vaccinated as possible because we've really seen over the last few months, the way that vaccinations can drive down transmission, um, you know, like I said, cases, hospitalizations, deaths are all generally down right now. So what this looks like over time, Rose, is that, you know, we have a certain amount of the population vaccinated. And I actually talked with a researcher recently who says, you know, the future of this pandemic, Rose, could look a lot like the world looked like before the pandemic. You know, there are a bunch of coronaviruses that are commonly circulating. They're often attributed to causing common colds. And we've seen with those, as we have with COVID-19, with this coronavirus, that children don't get severely sick generally. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they, their outcomes are not as bad as adults. And over time, the idea is that new kids are born. They might get SARS-CoV-2. It won't be that bad for them. They'll have some kind of protection as they grow up into adults and they might need to get vaccinated at that point. So, you know, I think once we come out of the pandemic, it's not like a switch is going to be flipped where we're going to know, hey, this is over. I think we're just going to slowly settle into a new normal where, you know, people every once in a while get sick with this thing. It just mm -hmm. doesn't have the same kind of burden on society that, you know, this kind of first pandemic stage has had. In other words, we always deal with the flu season. Maybe we'll have to deal with the uh, coronavirus season. I'm not putting that out there, folks, but uh, who knows? Uh, Sam, before I let you go, what stories are you now looking out for? What angles are you paying attention to? You know, Rose, I'm really interested in this transition away from the mass vaccination site to kind of the one-on-one -on -one conversations that are going to have to start happening to get the wait and see crowd or even the reluctant crowd to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. You know, I've talked with a number of small clinics around the state and they say that they have doses just sitting in freezers because demand is really low. And so, so I'm really curious to see moving forward how much of a difference it will make for mm -hmm more and more small providers to have access to vaccines in ways they don't now, because those are people, Rose, that a, a hesitant person, a skeptical person trusts, mm -hmm. they trust their doctor. They don't want to hear it from a politician or really even a reporter <laughs> that they should go get vaccinated. They have this trusted relationship with their primary care physician or a doctor that they know, or maybe it's their kid's doctor. And so mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see how much in that phase of the vaccine rollout, how much the, the needle moves then and, and, and what progress starts to look like once we get away from, you know, a mass vaccination site that can do hundreds and hundreds of shots a day. And of course, summer is coming up. Obviously, that's a time where we're all out and about and being in a large crowd is not unusual. WABE health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. Good reporting, good information as always. Thanks, Rose.
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. In March of this year, Moderna announced that the first participants had been dosed in the biotechnology company's KidCove study, the company's vaccine candidate against COVID-19 in children ages 6 months up to 12 years of age. Now closer to home, Emory University and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, well, they're also participating in that clinical trial testing the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Evan Anderson is an attending physician at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and professor of pediatrics and medicine at Emory University School of Medicine, as well as he's the study site principal investigator for the trial. Dr. Anderson, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Rose. You know, before we get into the trial, let me get your thoughts on where we are now as a nation with COVID-19, when you think back to last year from the lockdowns and to now we're talking about vaccines for kids, it's been quite a year. It really has been quite a year. Uh, as you may know, we were involved with the first study of uh, the Moderna vaccine uh, beginning in March of 2020. And to see the tremendous progress that's been made um, in terms of advancing multiple vaccines all the way through to availability and then seeing a large percentage of the U.S. population receiving vaccine is really just a tremendous accomplishment. And it's been great to uh, also see far fewer cases of, uh, of COVID-19 coming into our hospitals as well. And for this Moderna study called Phase 2-3, the goal was to enroll a little over 6,700, what you all call healthy pediatric participants, less than 12 years of age. It's a phase two and three study. The initial part of the study is looking at trying to identify the best dose to use in various kids, uh, depending upon their age. And then in the phase three, that will then look in comparison to uh, placebo at how well uh, the vaccine is tolerated, the safety, the immune response, and potentially even whether or not it can prevent COVID-19 infections. Because children are expected to begin enrolling in the trial at Emory's Children's Center, are you all getting a diverse trial population so far? Yeah, so we've just started to enroll uh, at our site here at Emory and uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We have had tremendous enthusiasm from uh, the community. We've had over uh, 1,200 families reach out to us about potentially uh, being involved with the study. And so we really are Um, focused on trying to ensure a diverse population of kids are able to enroll into the study. And so we've been able to achieve that so far. Well, that was my next question because it was, I'm sure it's crucial that the participants represent various ethnic and racial backgrounds for this trial. Yeah, so similar to the adult studies of the vaccine candidates, it was really important uh, to try and ensure that the population of the people that enrolled in the studies 
looks similar to uh, the population of the US. And that is indeed a goal uh, as part of the um, pediatric studies as well. Dr. Anderson, what can you share in terms of the trial? Is it the same Moderna two-shot vaccine that's been given to adults? So what will happen for uh, the pediatric studies, uh, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, is that in the early part of the studies, the best dose will be identified in the various age ranges. And then once that best dose is identified, then it'll go into the phase three where um, it looks at the safety and immune response and so forth. It is the same vaccine that will be used, but the question of the dose may well be different for various age ranges. And that's part of the key, key process of that early part of the study is to identify that best dose. And Dr. Ensign, I imagine, I know parents have had a lot of questions uh, before they agree to allow their, their child to participate. Uh, what are those familiar concerns and questions that you all get? It's a little bit hard to say that there's a consistent concern on the part of parents. I think that parents in general do want to kind of weigh and balance the risks and benefits of involving their child in clinical research, and they want to do what's best for their child. And so they want to understand how those risks and benef potential benefits could be balanced in, in the clinical trial itself. Let me ask you this. If a participant uh, has either already contracted COVID-19 or possibly been around someone who had the virus, would they be a good candidate for this trial? For studies in general, ability to enroll into the studies is dependent upon discussions with the FDA uh, and the vaccine manufacturers in terms of weighing the risks and the benefits. And for the Moderna study, it is possible to enroll into the trial if, if you have had COVID infection previously um, or if you've been exposed to COVID previously, but it needs to be outside of the window time period of a couple weeks before enrolling in the study. Dr. Anderson, have you treated COVID patients as young as six months or up to 12 years of age during this time? Yeah, so absolutely have been involved with the care of both adults and children with COVID-19, uh, including some life-threatening infections um, and the complication that we see uh, post-COVID, which we call MISC. Um, uh, and it, these are oftentimes very, very ill children for whom uh, we then have to extrapolate down adult therapies into the pediatric age range. And so that's a challenge. And we're still learning how best to care for children with COVID-19 infection and then MISC, both of which can be life-threatening. Mm. Have you noticed anything that was strikingly different in terms of recovery time between that age population and adults, barring any other existing conditions? The children who have COVID-19 infection that are hospitalized with COVID-19 behave similarly to adults in a variety of ways. We do see life-threatening illness. Uh, up to about a third of kids can end up having to go to the ICU uh, if they're hospitalized with COVID-19. For um, the children with MISC, that particular complication post-COVID-19 uh, infection has been a challenge in terms of identifying and 
learning how best to treat uh, children with this complication, since it is something very different from what we see in adults. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Dr. Evan Anderson. He's an attending physician at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and also professor of pediatrics and medicine at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Anderson is also the study site principal investigator for the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine trials for children ages six months to 12 years of age. Dr. Anderson, as someone who works with this particular population and when it comes to whether it's testing a new vaccine or a new type of medicine, but what is different in, in through your lens where we're talking about a vaccine as opposed to a new treatment for some other condition? Yeah, so for vaccines in general, uh, a key thing is that they're being administered to healthy children. And so we really do want to try and make sure that that the safety of the vaccine is such that we're not putting kids at risk of even relatively infrequent uh, adverse events from the vaccine itself. And so it's very important to try and uh, achieve that. And can you take our listeners through how you all gauge the effectiveness of something like this, or is it too early with this vaccine, particularly on kids this young, six months to less than 12 years of age? It is very similar to that of uh, the adult trials. So if uh, people remember what happened with the adult studies, those that received placebo are compared to those that receive vaccine. And if someone has something that could be symptoms consistent with COVID-19, they're asked to come in and get a a nasal swab to look for COVID-19 infection. And what happens then is that the rates are compared between those who had received vaccine versus those that had uh, received placebo. And that then is able to demonstrate how well the vaccine works in terms of prevention of COVID-19. How long might it take for this to be approved, you think? So in general, the studies um, in kids will continue on for about a year after receiving second dose of the vaccine. The the timing for when the either Pfizer or Moderna might be able to submit early data to the FDA will be a discussion between the FDA and Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, Pfizer has said that they think that they'll have enough data to um, submit to the FDA in September of 2021. Moderna hasn't given a timeline on when they think they'll have uh, sufficient data. And as the study site principal investigator for this trial, take our listeners through what that means for you. So for all the vaccine studies, uh, the various vaccines, they are first establishing the dose of vaccine. So that means that small numbers of kids will be enrolled uh, in the early part of, of the clinical trials. And then once that best dose is established um, from review of the early data, then kids will be enrolled and and randomized between vaccine and receipt of placebo. And then uh, they'll be followed over the next year for at various time points to evaluate their immune response to the vaccine, to look for breakthrough COVID-19 infections and to follow that safety long-term. And so it's a large number of visits um, seeing uh, these children and their parents uh, multiple times over the next months. Mm-hmm. And uh, then should they develop any potential COVID illness as well, 
um, seeing them for sick visit. Finally, Dr. Anderson, I just want to get your, your thoughts on this. When you think about from babies to those 15 years of age, if a significant percentage of this group is vaccinated, might this be the final turn this nation needs in, in combating the coronavirus and to prevent it from, maybe not prevent it from coming around, but if it does come around again, the severity of it? How important is this trial in all of this? Yeah, so Rose, that's a great question and a complex question to answer. I think that uh, first of all, we are seeing increasing numbers of adults receiving vaccine and really trying to uh, roll out the vaccine further for those adults that don't have access to it or who've been reluctant to receive a dose. Receive vaccination will be a critical step in terms of uh, the fight against COVID-19. For our children, we know that our teenagers are in general fairly effective in terms of uh, transmitting the virus to other teenagers and to adults. And so ensuring that our teenagers are able to and do receive uh, vaccination is, I think, a critical step in terms of addressing the COVID pandemic. It's important, though, I think, for people to realize that our communities are not just adults separated from children, but rather there is this interface that exists between our kids, whether we're teachers, parents, grandparents, uh, we're in contact with our small children. And so in order for us to fully overcome the pandemic, I think it will be actually quite important for our children to be able to receive COVID vaccination. Dr. Evan Anderson is an attending physician at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Emory and Professor of Pediatrics and Medicine at Emory University School of Medicine, as well as the study site principal investigator for the Moderna trial in children ages six months to less than 12 years of age. Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for taking the time and answering these questions. Uh, Keep us posted on how this is going. Thanks so much, Rose. This is Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. There were a lot of graduations this past weekend, and unlike this time last year, the ceremonies were live, not virtual. Although some of the commencement speakers were virtual, for this year's college graduates, it was the familiar scene of walking across the stage, donning the cap and gown, and of course the cap toss amid the camera shots and cell phone videos being taken. Agnes Scott College had commencements not only for the class of 2021, but the class of 2020. And for Christine C.J. Montgomery, it was welcomed, and it meant she had an opportunity to address her fellow 2020 graduates. This pandemic forced us to see the unseen and to remember the forgotten. It was no longer enough to check on those people who were the stereotypical overexerted leaders. But for once in our four years, we had to check on the people who were just grateful enough to call Agnes Scott a home. As Closer Looks graduates' profiles continue, Christine will call her CJ now for the rest of this interview. Montgomery joins me. CJ, congratulations and thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
You know, a while back in one of our conversations, your president, Leo Katie Zach, talked about how difficult it was to cancel last year's in-person commencement. When you heard that, what were your emotions? Oh my goodness. I think I was just kind of heartbroken. I was just looking forward to finally closing that chapter and seeing all my friends again. Uh, so getting that email was just, and having to push it out to my class, I think was even harder because I got the news first as president um, and then being prepared for all the emails that were coming after. Were, it was just a lot. <laughs> What did you hear in those emails? Were people like, CJ, is there anything you can do? Can you make or change your mind? Oh, definitely. A lot of people were like, well, can we just like, can we just come back one more time? Can we have like a little celebration? Can we do something? And I was like, y'all, we'll see what we can do. But it's not, it's not looking too hot. Um, <laughs> so they, they were definitely like pushing me. I it was, it went from email to like me. Stop, I was like, I'm going to pause from emails, y'all. I need a mental, like I need to regroup and process. And so then my DMs were going wild. So it was, it was hard. And when you found out that, you know what, we are going to have a commencement ceremony for 2020, although we'll be in 2021 and you would still get to address your, your fellow classmates. I imagine your emotions were different. So, yeah. So I actually, funny story so like I actually found out through one of my classmates so I had completely disconnected I was like you know what y'all I need to close this because it was just starting to eat at me everybody was like oh you'll get to walk eventually and so I disconnected and one of my friends was like have you heard the news and I was like wait what's going on y'all <laughs> and they were like we're gonna get a graduation and I was like wait what and so I finally logged back in into my email and I had like email after email from admin saying CJ like we're trying to get in contact with you we need your alum email address and I was like okay y'all so it's happening y'all it's happening good thing you didn't leave the state I know I know I'm still here in Atlanta so really easy to get back to campus for me you majored in Africana studies with a minor in education. Why this path? So I actually, I'm a first gen um, college student. So I had no idea uh, full transparency, what a major or minor was. Um, there were a lot of people at my high school who were having those conversations and my teachers kind of assumed that we knew, but I just kind of nodded my head in the background going, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so I knew that I had a passion for learning about black culture, um, not even just confined to the United States, but globally. Um, and so I was just like, let me, let me see what this is about. So I took a few classes. I knew that I really liked history. So it was a way to intertwine both of my passions. Um, and the education piece was something I knew. I knew that at some point I wanted to be in the education sector. And so it just kind of fell into place that Agnes Scott had the Africana Studies major and that education minor just with the liberal arts um, focus made them just weave together beautifully. You have an interest in terms of also equity in all of this too in education. Oh, for sure. So a lot of my research, um, the beautiful thing about Agnes Scott with that liberal arts focus, um, a lot of our finals and things can be tailored to our interests. Mm -hmm. So I talked a lot about educational inequity, specifically targeting um, African-American and black and brown students, um, just looking globally and then with my senior um, seminar, looking closely at educational inequity within the United States. And so just trying to figure out how to bridge that gap because there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done for the way that we're teaching black and brown youth that's not happening in the way that it should. You mentioned CJ, you were a first generation college graduate. Uh, what has this meant to 
Tell me about your parents first. So, um, so my mom is beyond thrilled. Um, so actually I kind of talked about this in my commencement speech. My dad actually passed in November. So he would have been alive for our original commencement day, which for me, it was a big milestone to kind of finally take that walk and just kind of honor him. Um, cause he was really one of my biggest champions for pushing me to just go as far as I could go. Um, and so it was really just amazing to see just to finally be able to take that walk for both of my parents who you know life threw obstacles at them and so they they didn't go to college and so they pushed me always to keep education first um, no matter what that looks like they didn't understand the paperwork but they always tried to find people around me that could you know help me figure out how to fill out the FAFSA or how to do these college applications um, all these different programs, anything that came up in the news, mom was like, have you seen this? My dad would be like, you know what they're talking about? And so I would be like the mediator to explain these things um, to try to, to get the connections I needed to get to college because that was that was a non-negotiable for them. I understand that about being non-negotiable <laughs> for your parents. In addressing the class of 2020, what was the message you really wanted to get across to them? I think I wanted to push them to see that your degree, while it is so beautiful, um, and while so many people work so hard, it does not define your entire existence. Your productivity does not define who you are as a human. The fact that you have breath in your lungs is enough for you to be loved. And anybody who thinks different, oh well. Value yourself, love yourself, um, embrace who you are. Even if you never walk another stage, you never get another certificate, another job promotion, you're beautiful and you're appreciated and valued just for being here. And when you think back to CJ freshman year to now and being at Agnes Scott College, what has that meant to you these years? Ooh, confidence. <laughs> I don't think, uh, Rose, I don't think I would be having this conversation with you first year. I don't think anybody first year knew who CJ was. Um, I hid in my dorm. I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, and then I just started to think like, this is, there's so many things that are bigger than me. Um, and Agnes Scott handed me so many tools. Um, the LDR 101 about the power of the voice. Um, I took a class on um, just fake news. And so there were a lot of things that I was like, oh, I can rewrite that. I can figure this out. Um, and just, <laughs> I just started to get more vocal and people were like, oh, snap. And so I was like, okay, let me just, this is fun. I like speaking up and advocating for myself. And so from there, it was just, opportunity after opportunity and figuring out, well, how do I get to where that person is? And mm -hmm. literally people at Agnes were like, oh, you want to get there? Here, like, here's how you do it. And it was just, from there, it was just literally the sky became a barrier. Like people say the sky is the limit. And Agnes Scott was like, nah, the sky is in your way. You got to keep going. <laughs> well, on that note, what's next for you as this new chapter unfolds? Cool. Well, right now I'm currently a kindergarten teaching resident at Kipsol Primary School. Um, and then next year, I just actually accepted an offer to be lead math teacher in first grade. So I'll be transitioning onto first grade, um, same school. But I'm also enrolled in Relay Graduate School of Education, getting my master's in teaching. Um, I don't know. Part of me is like, maybe I'll keep going after that. We'll see what happens. But um, it's just any way that I can continue to focus on educational equity um, for students who may have similar stories to me and just didn't have the information or the exposure. That's just, that's only, that's my only focus right now. I don't want to change the world. I just want to change 
little minds, one person at a time. That's not a bad approach. <laughs> Speaking of little minds, I got to ask, what have you learned from those kindergartners? Because I know you have. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I have learned that they are very observant. <laughs> but I've also learned, I think they were the inspiration for my speech, to be completely honest. We started off this year on Zoom. And when we got back into the building in May or in March, um, they were just so grateful to just be in the same space with me. And as a first year teacher, I was making all kinds of mistakes and they would just say, it's okay, Miss Montgomery, we love you. Or, and I was just <laughs> like, whoa, like you don't, you see me as more than productivity. You see me as if I come in here, my makeup's not done. I, I look all kinds of wacky. They still are like, you look beautiful. Or, you know, you're, you're so smart. Or they would, they would affirm me. And it's like, you know what, even if I don't have this lesson plan fully fleshed or it goes completely left, you guys see me as, as a human. And so they have taught me the value of just being human. Um, and it's okay to make mistakes. Um, uh, but we talk about Bob Ross all the time and happy little accidents in our class. And we just make beautiful, beautiful little accidents in our, in our kindergarten room. That is a wonderful age. I gotta tell you, Christine C.J. Montgomery, class of 2020 for Agnes Scott. We've also had a chance to address her fellow classmates this year. C.J., best of luck to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, first grade is good luck to you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to send us your feedback on all the conversations and features you hear on the program. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcasts. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice for NPR, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.